Hey, welcome to Crosswalk Church. Today, Pastor Jeff is bringing you a teaching, so head over to crosswalkphoenix.com and find today's message under the worship tab. There you can download the Crosswalk notes to follow along. And now, here's Pastor Jeff. You know, it was, um, I just, you know, want to be a little bit honest with you about things that go on on uh, in our staff and, and um, without mentioning any, any names, er, earlier on in, in the week, there was uh, one particular individual on our staff that was having a, a rough week. He was um, a little grumpy. I won't mention any names, but um, titles I don't mind is he has a title of pastor. <laughs> What'd you say? I can see him from here. Oh, Okay. And then I realized what was happening because if you remember early on in the week, it was dark and it was cloudy and it was, it was even colder, I think maybe a little bit, or at least it felt colder than, than now. And, and uh, yeah, I think his words were, I didn't sign up for this, which I totally understand because one of the beauties of moving from Wausau, Wisconsin to Phoenix, Arizona has got to be that you get to enjoy some more warmth and sunlight, right? So I love my brother pastor very much, and uh, I've always enjoyed seeing him with a big smile on his face. But you all are aware that there's a very real thing, and Pastor Dan does not suffer from this, uh, but there's a very real thing called SAD or seasonal affective disorder where darkness can really have an impact, a serious impact on, on people's emotions. And, um, and so this is, it can be a very tough thing and people will even have to uh, buy a special light and do light therapy um, to, to help themselves lift their emotions during this time of the year. We don't have a lot of that here because we have so much, uh, so much natural sunshine that it doesn't tend to happen to us. But in more northern climates, it happens quite a bit. The, the, the reality is that as we look at all the things that in our life create darkness, and, and, and let's face the fact that a lot of times holiday times can be dark times for us, and we can, we can feel off in our mood. Maybe, maybe a tragedy has occurred to us in the last year. Maybe our health is not what we envisioned it would be. Maybe we're dealing with a, a, a very serious illness Maybe Christmas isn't what we thought it would be. There's struggles and, and fights and arguments in our family. Whatever the cause may be, this can be a rather dark time of year. But, but what we want to talk about today is not emotional darkness, but what lies behind emotional darkness and all forms of darkness in our life, and that's spiritual darkness. And, and we want to, through reading what Luke has to say, uh, understand the link between whatever kind of darkness that we might be experiencing and the spiritual darkness created by sin that lies behind it. And I, I love Luke. Luke is fantastic. I don't know how much you know about Luke, but Luke was a physician, so I'm sure he would get things like physical the, the physical darkness that comes when, when we're ill. But Luke clearly from today's passage in Luke 2 really understood spiritual darkness as well. 
And he's going to describe for us a gentleman who was, who was waiting for Jesus to arrive, waiting for the Messiah, a gentleman named Simeon. And we're going we're gonna to read. I want to dive right, back in, right, right into today's text. So Luke chapter 2, we'll begin at verse 22. You can follow along on your notes if you want or in your own Bibles. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord. A pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon Picture this, scooping the little baby Jesus up in his arms, took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." Now, to better understand this, and you know I love history, now, one of the things I, I love about Luke is how he relates history. Let me, let me tell you a little bit about what's happening here, just from a historical perspective. So, when a, a baby boy was born to an Israelite mom and dad, they had three separate stages of law-required ceremonies and rites that they had to go through. The first one after the birth was eight days, and that was the one in which the young boy would be circumcised and named. And we know that the, the, the parents of Jesus, Mary and Joseph, had been given the name that they were to give to this child, Jesus, which means Savior. Jesus was sacrificed in obedience to the law, and this law was intended to help the Israelites understand that they were a people set apart for God. They were God's chosen people. And the the circumcision of the flesh was a way to say, put off your fleshly desires, your sinful desires, and be devoted, set apart, and dedicated to the God who created all people and the God who created Abraham and Abraham's people. Circumcision, eight days after birth. 30 days after birth came a second ceremony in which the firstborn was bought back. And the reason the firstborn had to be bought back was that in God's eyes, and he had told the Israelites this, and this applied to all of Israelite practices, even firstborn animals, not just firstborn humans, had to be redeemed or bought back because they were given by God. And this 30-day ceremony was a sacrifice in which through the means of the sacrifice then, this child would be bought back from the Lord as a sign to say, we understand, Lord, we get it. You created us. You created this child. He is your gift to us. That was the second ceremony 30 days out. 
The third ceremony was the purification, which came 10 days after the second ceremony, 40 days after the birth of a son. And in this uh, ceremony, two sacrifices would be brought. One would be the sacrifice of a lamb, which was a whole burnt offering. This was the, the family's way of saying, we remain devoted to you, Lord. Um, cleanse us of our sin, sinfulness and, and help us to be completely consecrated to you. There was a second sacrifice of doves or pigeons that was a sin offering to, uh, to, to be a, a sign to point forward to the Christ who would, who would take away our sins. So they had this series, and every time a child was born, this, this would occur. And the, the Israelites were very used to this. It was very common. It's exactly how it was done. The interesting thing here for us is this is Jesus Christ, true God, and the parents of true God who became true man, and yet they are still going through these same ceremonies. And I want to point something out from the first paragraph that we just read, because it's quite interesting that Luke says this so many times. Right away in that first verse, verse 22, I want you to take your pen and underline some things. When the time came for the purification rites, that's Mary being purified, when, when, when they came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, I want you to underline that phrase, required by the law of Moses, because I want you to see how many times that phrase gets repeated here. Joseph, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written, again Luke says it, in the law of the Lord, you can underline that, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. By the way, for your understanding, in, in this text, Luke is sort of combining the 30-day ceremony and the 40-day ceremony as one thing that they did, which is very understandable since Mary and Joseph probably had to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem, and it was enough of a distance that they probably just stayed in Jerusalem for the 10 days and did the first one on the 30-day mark and the second one on the 40-day mark, and, and Luke just sort of combines them as one thing in, in his record. So twice now he said, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrificing a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord three times. Now, why why does Luke do this? So, first of all, understanding Luke, one of the reasons I love Luke is Luke was one of the Apostle Paul's associates, and Luke had a heart. It, you know, following Jesus, I would say Luke was one of those guys who would have totally got the concept of a church for unchurched people. Because Luke went around with the Apostle Paul. Uh, he was part of Paul's team. They planted churches in Turkey and Greece and around the Mediterranean region. And, and, and Luke loved sharing the gospel with the Gentiles as Paul did. In fact, when Luke wrote this gospel, and when he wrote the book of Acts as well, he states that his intention is, is so that people who are Gentiles could understand better the, the story of Jesus. And throughout the book, he's constantly talking about outreach. 
And so here he is, and he's bringing up these Jewish ceremonies so that the Gentiles, the the Greeks and the foreigners who are non-Jewish can understand all the things that had to be done. But more importantly, he's saying, this child, even this child who is the son of God, did not come as above the law. This child, the Christ child, the son of God himself, placed himself underneath the law, put himself in a position to be obedient to the law, even when it wasn't necessary for him to do that because he was pure, perfect, and holy in every way. So why did he do this? Well, I think to understand why he did this, we have to understand the answer to this question. If we're talking today about the light of the world, Luke is really explaining to us what that light is is when he keeps repeating that phrase that this was according to the law of the Lord. What the light is, is best understood if we understand what the darkness is. And and the darkness that Luke represents, that the entire Bible represents and, and shares with us, as I said earlier on in the message, is the darkness that's created, the, the, the seminal, the, the, the core darkness that leads to all the other kinds of darkness that we experience in our lives. What, what Luke does is he takes us back to the very earliest beginning darkness. And he says, if you are experiencing darkness in your life, here's the source. And it's spiritual darkness. It is the fact that none of us can do anything but fail when it comes to the law of Moses and the law of the Lord, which by the way, those are synonyms. You see, what what Luke is, is, is pointing out to us with without saying it directly, is that God has set a standard. God has put a bar up and commanded that all of us get over that bar every day, again and again and again. And what is that bar? The law of Moses, the law of the Lord, if you want to call it that, the Ten Commandments, if you want to call it that. It is everything that we find in the Bible where God says, I want you to live this way and not live that way. I want you to do this and don't do that. Here's my bar. And furthermore, just so we understand God really clearly, God is a holy God, and he looks at you and me, and he demands something that really in our sinful state is impossible for us to fulfill. Jesus put it this way, be therefore perfect, as your heavenly father is perfect. There's the bar. Now, if we're honest, when we hear that bar, do all of God's commandments found in the Bible be holy and perfect, pure, and never fail once, but be perfect as our heavenly father, be as perfect as God? If we really think deeply about that and we really take that sincerely into our hearts, it leads honestly to one place. It leads to darkness. And you will understand that darkness if you have ever had someone in your life that set a bar that was impossibly high for you 
and, and kept on you and said, you have to get over this bar. You have to do this. And I am not stopping until I make you do this, get you to do this, because it's a must-have. I've got to have this. And you ran at it, bam, hit the wall. You tried to jump over the wall, didn't even come close. And you did it again and again and again, and all you encountered was failure. That's what happens with God's law. Cecil B. DeMille who uh, produced the old movie from the 50s uh, with Charlton Heston, The Ten Commandments. He has a beautiful saying that encapsulates this. He says, you know, as humans, we can never truly break God's law. All we can do is break ourselves against God's law. And if you recognize that you have tried many, many times to fulfill God's law, and maybe every occasionally you, you get over the bar, but then you, you keep running at it again and you can't do it. I want you to think now through relationships that you have where, where you're angry and frustrated and, and God still says, love that person. I, I want you to think about the things that challenge you. As Jesus said, in your heart, pride, greed, envy, lust, and, 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 and think back to all the times you've had a run at defeating those things and realize, I just can't get there. That's the darkness Luke is talking about. What Luke says is the light that shines into that, the, the, the bright light therapy for this sinful affective disorder has been sent to us by God. Someone who fulfilled every law for us in our place so that we no longer have to worry about smashing ourselves again and again and again into the same wall that we can't get over and we can't get through. I want you to look and see that Luke's companion, the Apostle Paul, got this very well. Romans 10.4 says, Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who believes. Paul is saying, and Luke is saying, look, Jesus came and he fulfilled, he lived underneath the law and he fulfilled all this law so that he could give you his report card, his righteousness, his holiness. There's another way of going about this. You can keep smashing yourself against the wall of God's law. You can keep having a run at that bar yourself. Or you can simply say, isn't this tremendous? Jesus did it for me. And in God's eyes, it's, it's done. Because he's the son of God. And he has the power and the capability to take his goodness, his righteousness, his perfect completion of every one of God's laws and hand it to me as a gift. And that's what he's done. That's what Paul is saying when he says Christ is the culmination of the law. It means Christ has done it all to its very best. And he's also saying with culmination in a way that it ends the power or the need that God's law has for us to fulfill it personally. We can just accept Christ's fulfillment so that there may be righteousness for whom? Do you see the passage? For everyone 
who believes in Jesus. Paul writes to the Galatians and he says something very similar describing the birth of Jesus. For when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born, do you see the phrase? Under the law, not above the law, but under the law. He demanded of himself to fulfill every law in our place. And why did he do that? For the same reason that Jesus was redeemed as a firstborn son, Jesus himself now came to redeem us from our sins, to redeem those under the law, that's us, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus came, and what the light is, this is the answer to the question, what the light is, is his righteousness shining into the darkness of our sin, and even more, it's him sharing the rights of sons with us. We can now stand before God and go, I'm, I'm a dearly loved child of God with all the rights of a son, including the rights of an eternal inheritance in heaven, all because of Jesus' coming. So here's what I want you to write. And this is really answering, what is the light that Luke is telling us about here? Jesus came to give us true light, which is his righteousness and the rights of of sons. Now, the second question I want to answer is why do we need this light? And if you've ever, if you've ever been with someone whose expectations were extremely high and been made to feel this dark feeling of, I just can't seem to please this person. No matter how hard I try, I'm never good enough for them. See, if we really take a hard look at God's law, that's how we're going to end up feeling naturally. I just can't seem to please, please uh, my God. His laws are too hard and too high because of his holiness. And that really leads us, when we think about that, to the answer of the question, why do we need the light of Christ's righteousness and the rights of sons? So as humans, what we tend to do when we fail at something over and over and over again the way we fail at completing God's laws or, or anything really is we, we have two strategies for dealing with this. First of all, when we fail again and again and again, we will be severely tempted to redefine failure and success. So if we keep taking a run at something, there's going to be a temptation to say, you know what, I don't believe that's what failure means anymore. I believe failure means this instead of what I first thought it did. And we will we'll try to redefine that. We see this in Jesus' day. There are major parties of people that did this. So, for example, one of the things they did is they stopped looking for a spiritual Messiah because they, they, they thought, well, I know God promised us a Messiah, but he doesn't seem to be coming. And they started looking for a political Messiah. They redefined success. Success will be when God sends us a deliverer, a second David, who will kick the Romans out and we'll be successful. We'll stop failing when we live under his leadership 
and were a free nation once again. They took a political definition rather than a spiritual definition of what success and failure are, and and they built a a whole sub-tribe of the Jews around this called the Zealots. The, The Sadducees did the same thing. And if you know anything about the Sadducees, they were rationalists of their day. They, they didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in heaven or eternal life. And so their de- definition of success was trying to be uh, as godly a person as they could be in this life and not worry about anything that was supernatural or spiritual, kind of live according to their own thought processes, their own, their own way and their own, their own goodness they redefined success. There's a second strategy that helps us sometimes deal with success and failure. And that is when we fail a lot, we will tend to engage ourselves in what I would call a fantasy of success. So we begin to tell ourselves that we're succeeding even when we're not, and we build this fantasy world for ourselves that we're really getting this done. And I think if you think hard about it, you'll know the people in Jesus' day who, who engaged in a fantasy of success. They were called the Pharisees. And, and so they would tell themselves, we're, we're doing this. In fact, we're doing it so well that we've even added our own laws to make sure that we, we don't even get close to breaking God's laws. And we're keeping those too. We're good people. We're godly people. And we're successful at this. We do not fail. And they engage in a fantasy of success. I've already told you about the only third option for when we fail again and again and again, and that's darkness and depression and just feeling beat up from having a run at the wall And in the end, you know where that leads to. It leads to just giving up. I want to take you back to the front page because there's actually a fourth option. And it is the beautiful option. And it is the one that Simeon chose. And we're going to see why he chose it. It wasn't his own power that helped him choose it. You're going to see something repeated in here over and over and over again. The words of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led Simeon to be doing this. We just got done with a waiting series. Simeon was waiting for something that brought true light. No fantasies of success for Simeon. No redefining what failure and success are. No giving up. He saw the fourth option. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon. I'm reading at verse 25, right right back at the top again. A man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. This is why he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I want you to circle that word, consolation. It had been revealed to him, again, by the Holy Spirit, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the, do you see it, third time, just like the law in the first phrase? Moved by the, help me, by the Spirit. He went into the temple courts. 
When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon scooped him up. He took him in his arms and praised God, saying, we'll stop there for a moment. Can you turn back over to the second side? Simeon sees these parents come in. And he's been called by the Holy Spirit, brought into this space in the temple. And and when he encounters this, this baby Jesus, he scoops him up in his arms because he sees in Jesus the fourth beautiful, wonderful option. He he doesn't have to engage in a fantasy of success. He doesn't have to redefine success. He doesn't have to lower the bar and say, you know what, God, I don't think God ever, ever intended for me to be perfect. He doesn't have to do that. He, he, He doesn't have to wallow in despair. Because the fourth way is the promises of God going all the way back to Adam and Eve that said, I will send you a savior. I will send someone for you to crush Satan's head. And this someone will come and he will live perfectly in your place so that you can be in God's sight, perfect and holy. Yes, you who are sinful, let's be real. We are sinners. We fall short, but God has the fourth option, and that is to send us a savior from our sins, one who will give us his love, his light, his holiness and righteousness, so that we can rest there. And what what does Luke call that? What, what, What does it say Simeon was waiting for? I love this. It says, Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's why I had you circle that word consolation because that's very important. Now, in our world today, consolation doesn't have a, a, a very good meaning attached to it. You win the consolation prize, which means you didn't win the championship prize, or you're put into the consolation bracket, which even if you win the consolation bracket, all it means is that you are the winner of the losers. But that's not the kind of consolation that's being talked about here. The consolation that he's talking about here is the kind of consolation you used to get when you were a child and you're running down the sidewalk really fast and you trip on the crack in the sidewalk. Not that I ever did anything like that, but I know some of you might have had that happen to you. And you skin up your knee and your elbows. And you run inside the house and your dad or your mom are there and you get lifted up into their arms and and they console you. They take you up, they hug you, they they put a warm cloth on there and wash that scrape off and put a Band-Aid over it and they say, you're going to be okay. You see, that's the consolation that Simeon was waiting for, but not in a physical sense, in a spiritual sense that we could crawl up now into the Father's arms because of all that Christ has done for us, our heavenly Father's arms. And and he would look at us in all of the pain of our sin and our guilt and our shame, and he would say, it's going to be okay because my son has taken care of this for you. 
You're going to be all right. You're going to be with me forever because of Jesus, my son, coming to to live for you first and then to die for you on a cross, to shed his blood and be wounded and to, to receive stripes so that your wounds and your stripes could be healed. See, this is the beauty of Christmas is that Jesus is the light of the world. Not just his righteousness, as we'll see in a moment, but he himself is the light of the world. And this is the answer to the question, why do we need this light? We need this light because we need this consolation. We need this light because we too need to be comforted. And this goes all the way back into Old Testament times. Take a look at Isaiah chapter 29, verse 18. I put it in your your notes. In that day, the deaf will hear the words of the scroll and out of gloom and darkness, the eyes of the blind will see. If you've ever wandered around for a, a, a little while, kind of lost in the dark, I've had this happen to me a couple of times camping and all of a sudden there in the distance you see a campfire and you're like, thank you, Jesus, I found my way back to camp. You, You understand this feeling. Isaiah goes on to say, and, and, and realize this is 700 years before Jesus is even born. This is a prophecy. I love this. Comfort, comfort my people. That, that word, you, you could say, console my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. You can, you can stop now. All this service that you're trying to do for God because you're convinced this is the only, the only way to be in God's good graces and to have a relationship, the only way for you to be able to, to be allowed to crawl up into the Father's lap is if you keep doing this hard service and fulfilling the commandments and doing everything you can. What we're really being taught is Stop allowing yourself to engage in the fantasy that you're succeeding. Because we're not. None of us is. It's a fantasy if we think to ourselves, I'm a good person. I I know that God is going to, to, to accept me. He'll take me into heaven because of what I've done. That's a fantasy. And, and the, the problem is not he'll take me into heaven. The problem is that last phrase, because of, of what I've done. That's the fantasy part. Isaiah says, dispel the fantasy. Your hard service is done. Not because you've done it, but because Jesus has done it. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that tremendous to know that As far as God is concerned in your life right now, no matter if you never kept another commandment for the entire rest of your life, it's already done because of what Jesus has done. It's pretty stellar news. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed. You hear the echo of what Jesus says on the cross? It is finished. 
that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. I want you to write this down. Jesus came to help us see the healing value of the light and rest in it. The light is Christ's righteousness, Christ's forgiveness. And now, and now Jesus comes to say, rest in me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest from those labors. Here's the last paragraph, and I, I love this. You can turn back to the front page. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Come to Jesus, and, and you're coming into that bright light therapy that, that lifts the, the darkness of sin and gives you peace. Dismiss your servant in peace. In fact, Many of us may recognize that this is called the nunc dimittis. And, and that means now dismiss. Dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. This is Simeon's song of worship and praise as he holds this little baby Jesus in his arms and he says, God, now, you know, you can let me go now. I've got everything I need. I've got the baby Jesus. I've got my, my Messiah, my Savior in my arms. He's my hope. I don't, I don't have to engage in fantasies of success anymore like the Pharisees. I don't have to redefine and, and, and lower the bar. I don't have to keep smashing myself again and again against this law that I can never fulfill because here it is, Lord. Everything that I need is right here in my arms, is baby Jesus. And what Luke is really encouraging you and me to do, not, not obviously with our physical hands, but with the hands of our heart, is scoop the baby Jesus up into, into the arms of our hearts. Not by our own power. You, you, you've heard how many times Simeon was called and, and gathered by the Holy Spirit here. By the Spirit's power, we scoop Jesus up into our arms and we look at him and we say to God like, like Simeon did, man, I can, I can now have true peace at last. Look at what it says in John 8, 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, we, we live in a world in, in modern times that is not completely unlike the world of the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the, and the Zealots. We live in a world where people look for other kinds of light, or if, if you're influenced, as many of us are in today's world, by, by nihilism, which, which basically says, any truths or values or anything that we might believe is completely perspective and there's nothing that can be known for sure. 
And there's certainly no moral values that, that, that can be taught for sure. If you believe that, as many in our world do today, that, that the church just spreads hate and conflict, then you're not going to see this light that God wants you to see. This Jesus who says, I am the light. I find it interesting that in the temple, there weren't dozens of Jews waiting for the consolation of, of, of the Jews, of, of Israel. There weren't hundreds there in the temple. There was Simeon, and we hear just a little bit later of uh, a woman named Anna. There certainly weren't thousands of people waiting for the consolation of Israel. Two lonely people, drawn by the Holy Spirit, were waiting to have this consolation. And, And even Jesus himself says this path is a narrow path. But brothers and sisters, being on this path, there is nothing like the peace that that we're given when we see Jesus as our Savior and as our light and hear this promise that he makes to you and to me. Whoever follows me, whoever scoops me up in the arms of his heart will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. You see, the hope for all of us is we don't need to go looking for him because he's always looking for us. Do you see what Isaiah says? I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I, here am I. Brothers and sisters, if you're here today, I I just pray and I hope for you that you see This Jesus, this light of the world standing before you with his arms held out in tremendous love, with undeserved mercy and grace saying, here am I. Come into my arms so I can lift you up into the Father's arms and we together can console you that your sins are forgiven, your guilt and shame are gone. You don't have to redefine anything You don't have to engage in any any more fantasies because I am your light. I am your righteousness, your holiness. I am your forgiveness. I'm the one who will love you faithfully and I will stand here always saying to you, here am I, here am I. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus to be our Savior. We love you so much, but we know you love us a million, a billion times more. And Lord, we know that you sent Jesus to be our consolation, and so help us by your Spirit's power to be like Simeon, to be waiting here for you with our arms extended, waiting to scoop you up in the arms of our heart, to trust you as our Savior to make you the Lord of our lives. We cannot do that by our own power, Lord. We do not seek you by our own power, but you hold out your arms to us and you give us the spirit to allow us to see you.
as our light and in fact, the light of the world. We pray all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Let me, let me close off by giving you the, the last fill-in. Jesus came to be the true light and prepare the peace of salvation for all nations, and that means you. So, before we close, if you would like more information about Crosswalk or to listen to other messages, head over to crosswalkphoenix.com or come and see us. Services are held at Cesar Chavez High School at 41st Avenue and Baseline on Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Visit our website for directions. And now, some closing thoughts from Pastor Jeff. I, I don't know what kind of darkness you're experiencing in your life, maybe created by having a run at things in your life, at work, at home, that you just feel like, man, I'm hitting a brick wall again and again and again. It, it might be the, the, the darkness of confusion. I'm, I'm out of ideas. It, it, it might be the emotional darkness of I, I give up. But be Simeon. That's the message I want you to take home with you today. Be Simeon and see the source darkness, the original darkness that lies behind any darkness in your life, and that is the darkness of our failure before God. But more than that, see the light, the beautiful light, the beautiful Christmas light of your success before God and the name of your success before God is Jesus Christ and he holds his arms out to you and says, here I am. Let me send you out into your week with the Lord's blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you his peace, his Simeon peace. In Jesus' name, amen.